You're listening to the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast. Here's the deal. If you make disciples by sitting around and talking, you shouldn't be surprised when your disciples sit around and talk and talk and talk. This is the podcast for those weary of just talking and ready to start activating in the mission Jesus gave us to change the world. The Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast, where disciples and disciple makers gather to grow and go together. Here's your host, Dr. Matt Friedemann. Hey, y'all. Good to have you with us today. Remember, the place for a man, for a woman, completing all their powers is in the fight. And right now today, making disciples of the nations. So stay tuned. Stay encouraged. We have a rendezvous with destiny. All right, folks. Got a good program lined up for you today. Excited about uh, some things that are going on in the world. Particularly kind of uh, excited. It's not really the right word. I, I feel challenged today. Have you have, have any of you felt challenged lately? Just like, man, what are we going to do? And uh, I, that kind of gets the juices going for me because I think there's some things we can do in almost every challenge that Jesus brings to us or allows, shall we say, in our life. So just want to get going on some of these things and we're going to do some issues today. Then finally, had a great 5Q discipleship meeting today. Uh, with a number of participants by Zoom, a uh, number of folks around the world <clears throat> came together and I, I let one of the students lead the day and she says, I'd like to do something out of John 13. So we get to that here in just a moment. However, I woke up to something that's, a shall I say, a little bit disturbing to me. Now, that's not really all that unusual, uh, but this was the thing. It was on Twitter and it was a cake. Now, before I tell you what was on the cake, it was a celebratory cake. And so this is what uh, some woman called, uh, actually, literally, I'm sure it's her name, made up name, but her made up name for uh, this particular Twitter was C.Hate. Hate. I thought, whoa, no kidding. Anyway, this is what she said. Abortion is health care and also traumatic. So if you do have one, please gather all your closest friends after to celebrate. Be around endless love and happiness for your decision. Thanks for everyone who came last night. So uh, there was a cake that she had made, apparently for her abortion. And uh, it starts off, it's a boy. But over the Y, so you think about it, it's a boy. Over the Y of B-O-Y, over the Y are the words or, or, or the letters are T-E-D. So it's actually not, it's a boy, but it's a abortion. It's a aborted. There, that, that's a, it, it, it's a aborted. That's how it reads. Anyway, I just thought how utterly, incredibly despicable is that? And it got me thinking last evening, one of the things we've been doing across uh, the last several Wednesday nights at our church is my church is called Dayspring. So we've started something called Dayspring University. And at Dayspring University, we were just having in seminary professors and other good teachers to teach us something across several weeks. And we had our seventh installment last night of Spiritual Warfare by Dr. Matt Ayers. Now, that name might be familiar to you. Dr. Matt Ayers is our president here at Wesley Biblical Seminary. He's a young man, uh, but he spent 13 years in Haiti and uh, just a phenomenal communicator. So I just thought, yeah, I'd, I'd like for him to speak to us because of his spiritual warfare across uh, 
decade and more in Haiti to come speak to our congregation. And he did a phenomenal job, just a really great job. But he wondered aloud last night concerning spiritual warfare, why so many in America seek suicide when we make 35 times the income Haitians do and yet have a significantly higher suicide rate. Now, get a load of that. In Haiti, they make about $1,000 per family. We make about $35,000 per family, and many of us listening to this podcast, a whole lot more than that. And yet, we're not happier, and yet, we actually commit more suicide in America, significantly more suicide in America than do the Haitians. And so, you kind of look at him saying, and what's your point? And his point was simply this. We have a spirit of death in our land that prosperity, not even the extraordinary prosperity that Americans enjoy, you can't conceal it. It's a spirit of death that shines through. And this photo that I'm looking at, even as I speak to you right now, it's a aborted (laughs) for it's a boy and they're celebrating an abortion, gathering a party together and saying, Yahoo. And uh, listen, there is a spirit of death. I think the greatest thing we can, maybe we'll just keep talking today about the other various issues that uh, I've kind of looked around the day to talk about and say, maybe we can get a thread of what is there we can do. I, I think the first thing here is simply, let's be people of life, abundant life. Now this abortion issue is, is big for me because uh, once a week I go out to our abortion clinic and I stand around and try to talk to the ladies who are coming in and, and uh, pray outside that abortion clinic. And so it's, it's an important issue, no question about it. And something that I want myself, my family, I want my congregation to be involved with, but there's no question when you're out there, you feel the spirit of death and you feel the demonic when you're out there. There's just no question about it. So what does it mean to take a stand for life amidst the spirit of death? And there's no question, you need the abundant life burning within you so that you can go to a place like that and be a refining influence. Having said that, other issues. Um, This one was fascinating. Most Uh, This comes from the Christian Post. Most adult U.S. Christians don't believe the Holy Spirit is real, according to a study. And so uh, here's the study that comes from uh, the Cultural Research Center of Arizona Christian University. And uh, they had something called the American Worldview Inventory. Talked to 2,000 adults. And this, some 62% of self-identified born-again Christians contend that the Holy Spirit is not real. Now, did, did you hear that? 62% of self-identified born-again Christians contend that the Holy Spirit is not a real living being, but merely a symbol of God's power, presence, or purity. Now, if you wonder why evangelicalism today might just be anemic, I would suggest to you, that might be the answer right there. Now, when Easter comes, we ought to celebrate big, 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 big time. Wow, we're talking about the resurrected Jesus. And and that resurrection life can infuse our very living today. But uh, that wasn't enough. The resurrection wasn't enough. Something else had to happen for it to be enough. And 
I don't know if you've ever heard of a guy named E. Stanley Jones. I quote him a lot on this program simply because he's been so influential. He was an old Methodist missionary to India and had an incredible impact in the 20th century. But he wrote a book called The Christ of Every Road, and it's a book on Pentecost and what the Holy Spirit does when the Holy Spirit comes. And he says something that's really quite interesting as you read your Bible. Draw a line, says E. Stanley Jones. Draw a line through the New Testament. And on one side, you see spiritual fumbling, hesitancy, inadequacy, defeat. And on the other side, you see certainty, courage, adequacy, victory. And that line runs straight through Pentecost. I want you to think about that now. If you would just take your Bible and in your mind, draw a line through Pentecost, that'd be Acts 2. And Acts 1 and everything previous to that, you see spiritual fumbling, hesitancy, inadequacy, defeat. And even after Jesus spends three years with the disciples, what are they doing? But they're betraying him. They're denying him. They're fumbling around. They're behind closed doors, scared to death of what's going to happen next. But once the Holy Spirit comes in all fullness in Acts 2, you see certainty, you see courage, you see adequacy, you see victory. And so when you read that most adult U.S. Christians don't believe the Holy Spirit is real, that means most adult U.S. Christians and the institutions they impact have a problem. Now, Stanley Jones again, Christ of Every Road. Get that book if you can. I'm not even sure it's in print. Get it anyway. This is what he says. The church is living between Easter and Pentecost. Easter stands for life wrought out, offered. Pentecost stands for life appropriated, lived to its full, unafraid, and clearly and powerfully witnessing to an adequate way of human living. The church stands hesitant between the two. Hesitant, hence comparatively impotent. Now, this is what he's saying. He's saying this to the church in the 20th century. I think he would say it to the church in the 21st century. Because we stand between Easter and Pentecost, haven't yet embraced Pentecost, we stand comparatively impotent. Something big has dawned on his thinking. Christ has lived, says Stanley Jones, taught, died, and risen again, and has commissioned the church with the amazing good news. But something big has yet to own in the very structure, makeup, and temper of the life of the church, and that is Pentecost. Easter is dawned. Pentecost has not. If the church would move up from that between state of being between Easter and Pentecost and move up to embrace Pentecost, nothing could stop it. Nothing could stop it. Nothing could stop it. Y'all, <laughs> we need to believe that the Holy Spirit is definitely real. And more than that, he wants to take over our lives. And more than that, he wants us to sweep through our culture, empowered and purified by that Holy Spirit for the glory of God, and then watch to see what happens. I uh, I love Stanley Jones. He helps me understand some things, but certainly he helps me understand the Holy Spirit. Jesus wasn't enough. We say that and you think, oh, that's heretical. Of course, Jesus is enough. No, Jesus himself says, I want you to wait 
and in when in your waiting, when the Holy Spirit comes, that will be enough to be my witnesses to the ends of the world. I'm telling you, embrace that Holy Spirit, y'all. Embrace the person of the Holy Spirit. Ask that Spirit to fill you to the very brim. Now, let, let me tell you what's going to happen. When you get filled to the very brim, uh, some of you may uh, recognize this, but I, I frequently love to do this, kind of a youth pastor type thing, but uh, to hold a, a glass of water and have somebody that comes and says, listen, all I ask you to do in the next few moments is just don't spill the water, okay? And the guy say, yeah, I won't spill the water. And so you got a full glass of water. And so you go around talking about that full glass of water, but then you come back to the guy and he, he's holding it straight out with his arm. You grab his arm and you you uh, throttle his arm and water goes everywhere. Goes on him, goes on me, goes on the, everybody's sitting on the front row. It's a mess. And uh, you yell at him, hey man, dude, why, why did you spill the water? And he'll say what everybody says. Because you shook my arm. And that's not the right answer. Water came out of the glass because there was water in the glass. There's an old proverb that goes, whatever you're filled to the brim with spills out when you're bumped. Y'all, the early church was bumped. They had persecution going. Uh, they had troubles within their churches going. They, 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 they were looked on by the surrounding culture as people who were sticking out that needed to be pounded down. And yet, because they were filled with the Spirit, every time they got bumped, they spilled out with the Spirit of Jesus. And guess what happened then? This gospel <clears throat> marched its way across the Roman Empire and was extraordinary. So when we start talking about what does a culture need huh, from Christianity? Well, one of the things is we need to be a witness even outside the abortion clinics in a culture of death. But to all places that lack the life that Jesus wants for that place, we need to be people of abundant living. We need to be people who are salt and light. We need to be people who are Holy Spirit filled, recognizing full well we're going to get bumped. And when we're bumped in situations, that spirit of Jesus will spill out and have impact. Now, that's not all. Let's keep moving here. <clears throat> a couple of other things here that I found interesting. George Barna shared four ways Christian parents can combat the media's influence. Now, these are a couple of things from George Barna here. One of these stories is on uh, Christian parents and combating media's influence. The other one is, man, we're not helping out our kids in this whole church thing. First things first, the media thing. Again, this uh, this research comes from the Arizona Christian University. But he, uh, Barna says, we look at the data and find out that we've got a big problem with our kids and technology, with our kids and the screens of their life. There are four M's, said George Barna, that we need to employ as parents to combat the harmful influence of the media. And that is, number one, monitor. You got to monitor where your kids are being exposed to. Because there's all kinds of parents out there, including and especially Christian parents, that are just happy as they can be to buy their children every device the kids want, and then just leave the kids to determine what they're going to take in through all those devices. And a lot of parents don't even know what their kids are being exposed to. I can tell you right now, it's almost assuredly not good stuff. Almost assuredly not innocent stuff. Monitor says George Barna, then minimize. Listen, 
it's the biggest addiction of our life. This media thing is a huge addiction to all of us. We need to get over it. We spend more time literally absorbing messages from the media than anything else we do except sleep. And I'm going to tell you here, uh, growing up, I've, you know, we've written a book called Discipleship in the Home. And uh, one of the things we say is, as our children were growing up, we didn't have screens around. We didn't have, we, we threw the TV out. They were not allowed to have their own computers. Now, we had one, but it was in the den where everybody was, and it was work product based. So if you needed to get on, do so, but do so for school because the school wants you to. And we were homeschooled. So anyway, we decided, no, we're not going to have TV in the house. We're not going to have computer screens in front of every kid's face. And no one has an iPhone. And yes, all their friends had iPhones and all the friends had computers and all the friends had TVs. We don't care about all that everybody else had. All we knew was we had to minimize this in our children's lives because it's, I mean, there's, there's nothing good about it. The content's terrible, but so is what the screen itself and what's happening with the screen, its impact on the actual brain of the child. It changes the way the kid utilizes his brain. So all kinds of research to go along with that. We don't have time for The third M was mediate. You need parents. You need to serve as the mediator between the media and what they're trying to get you to believe and what your kid to believe. And as followers of Jesus, what the scriptures teach and much of what the media is trying to tell our kids is flat out lies. So we got to say, no, this is what the Bible says. And then finally, moralize. Help them to understand the difference between right and wrong, because they're going to get real confused if they are literally discipled by the media. And y'all, I guess that's the point. My friend Hal Perkins always says, everyone is getting discipled. And if your kid is on the screen for an hour a day, that's an hour that Hollywood or Madison Avenue or who knows who is discipling your kid. Do you want your kid discipled by Hollywood for an hour, by social media for an hour, by, by a... I, I don't, y'all, we can do better than that. And so don't let that discipleship happen with your kid without you getting in the middle of it. And again, we, we found that abstention altogether was a great idea. Now you may not want to go there. I get that. I get that. But you need to, th- these, these four M's are pretty good from George Barr. Monitor, minimize, mediate, and moralize. <clears throat> So there you go. And, and, and then, then finally this. Uh, again, same thing. Barna comes across and says, hey, by the way, you know, everybody's wondering why is it that our kids don't want to go to a church? You know, we, we take them to church between uh, ages zero and 18. And, and the minute they turn 19, not in church. 20, not in church. 25, not in church. Then they have kids and they still don't want to go back to church. That used to be the old thing, right? When they start having kids, they want to get back. Yeah, we'll find out that's not even happening anymore. Not to the tune it used to. So what? So what do we do? What's happening here? And uh, George Barnes says, I can tell you what's happening. I, I mean, I can tell you what's happening. There is a great disconnect between Christian parents and their philosophy of life and what the Bible, or more specifically what the church is saying they believe about the Bible. For instance, um. of self-identified parents said that the the Bible is their primary source of moral guidance. And by that, I would say only 33%. 
that uh, the basis of truth is God revealed through the Bible, 38% of self-identified Christian parents, but I would say only 38%. Get a load of this. this, 14% of self-identified Christians said that accumulated wealth is entrusted to us by God to manage for his purposes. And only 14% of self-identified Christians believe in that. What they're saying is, yeah, we're taking our kids to church, but they're finding out that what mom and dad actually live out and think is way, way, way different than the church, than that pastor and and uh, his deacons. And I'm thinking, no kidding. I was uh, I was doing talk radio several years ago, had an old program called The Mad Freedoman Show. So uh, it was a national program, and, and on that program, we had a couple of authors come on, and they were sitting on top of the biggest data. Uh, actually, it was two pile, different piles of data. A, a lot of people were surveyed. One was the biggest study ever done of youth in America, and another was a significant Christian study. So I had these two authors on, and uh, we were bemoaning the fact that the kids were leaving and not wanting to come back into the church life after they were gone from their parents. Why is that? And they, they said this and that. And then I finally said, listen, we're about done. Both of them, two different authors, two different dates, two different books, two different piles of research. And I asked them both, what's the one thing? What's the one bestest thing that parents could do to ensure their kids will continue to want to go to church? And both of them said this. Hey, parent, get in the fight in your community. Get into some kind of compassionate ministry in your community on a regular basis and take your kid with you. Take your kids with you. Show them that the church says serve and that you are serving. That the church says be salt and light and you're being salt and light. That the church says we need to wash other people's feet and we're washing people's feet out here. And they will see the connection between your faith and the faith of Jesus Christ and his church, and they will continue to plug into that church. And I thought to myself, all we're really talking about here is integrity. Indeed. So one of the sponsors of our program today is Wesley Biblical Seminary. Folks, I've taught here for 35 years. It's a great school. I love this place, but I also feel this. It's one of the best seminaries in the world and a place where you can come and check out all kinds of really great things that we might be able to offer you, like a lay program called the Wesley Institute. We go through all 66 books of the Bible, and this year we're adding a second year to it, and that is once you make it through the Bible part of it to take the theology part it's a great lay program. It takes a whole year. That's kicking off again in September. But we have an undergraduate program. Yep, we got a college you need to discover. We have master's programs, and even we have a doctoral program called a D-Men program. Doctor ministry, really something for all serious disciples. So check it out at wbs.edu. That's wbs.edu. All right. Last thing I'd like to hit with you today is this. I uh, I was on six o'clock this morning. It's, it's typically when we do our discipleship groups is at 6 a.m. And we do a, a format called 5Q. And 5Q stands for five questions. And so here are the real quick, the five questions. We read a passage of scripture and we just say, all right, let's look at that. What 
does the Lord want to say to us through his word? What is there that the Holy Spirit's highlighting for us? And we just share. Everybody shares. No one. There's not a teacher. We're all teachers. We're teaching one another. And then uh, the leader will say, now let's adore the God that's coming to us from this passage, that's revealing himself to us through this passage. And we'll spend some time in worship, just praising him, adoring him, extolling him, exalting him. Then we ask the question, what's a testimony from this passage that comes from your life that proves the point of this passage? And we'll share testimonies around the group. It's wonderful. Then we go to the most challenging part of the study, and that is, hey, what is there Jesus wants us to change from this passage? And we actually make commitments that we're going to hold each other accountable for next week when we get back together. What's the change Jesus wants to see? So we're not just studying the Bible. We're saying, let's study it for sure. Let's worship the Lord of the passage here, but let's also arise up and go do something consistent with this passage. And we'll hold each other accountable for that next week. And finally, hey, let's pray for one another. How can we pray for one another? And so those are the five questions, scripture, adoration, testimony, change, and supplication, praying for one another. It's a wonderful way to have a discipleship group. Now, having said that this morning, uh, there was a young lady that uh, I had said last week, I'd like for you to lead this week. And she says, let's go to John 13. Now, you all will remember what happened in John 13. That is the day when Jesus said, let's go have a supper together. It was a Passover meal together. And so, real quick, let me read a little bit of this to you and then uh, just point out some things. It says here in John 13, Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart from this world to the Father, and having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had handed all things over to him, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from the supper, laid his outer garments aside, and took a towel and tied it around himself. Now, let's stop right there. There's all kinds of remarkable things about that, but this morning at the 5Q meeting I was involved with, the 5Q discipleship I was involved with, this is when it came my turn. This is what I said. <clears throat> it's interesting to me that the devil is at work in the same room Jesus is working in. And y'all, it's my conviction that's true much of the time, that Jesus is at work, but so is the devil. And that night, <laughs> it became very clear that uh, who was it among that crowd that was working with the devil. I will just suggest to you, the devil's at work in the same room Jesus is working in. You don't have to be scared of that. No, 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 no. We're not frightened by it at all. Not at all. We've got Jesus for crying out loud. I mean, just embrace Jesus and you're good on the spiritual warfare dynamic. The second thing is this, washing of the disciples' feet. Nine times this word wash or washing or washed comes up in uh, like the next nine verses. Washed, washed, washing. Y'all, this washing dynamic is important because that basically means servanthood. In every room you walk into today, you ought to ask the question, how can I serve Jesus in this room? Whose feet can I wash in this room? Now, I don't mean actual washing of feet, although the Lord might lead you to do that. I don't know. But whose feet, figuratively, 
can I wash in this room right now? And some of the greatest people I know of in the world think that thought every time they walk into a room. What can I do to serve this situation? Whose feet can I wash? It's a great way to live a life. And Jesus, God in the flesh decided he was going to wash some feet and he wants us to do the same kind of thing. Then it says this, Jesus has said, what I am doing, you do not realize right now, but you will understand later. And I just said in the five Q meeting, I said, listen, lots of things I don't get, particularly on things like suffering. Why suffering? Why is this happening? Why is this happening to this person? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to my family? There's a lot of whys out there. A lot of things I don't understand, but I love this passage because I think it's not only true in the upper room or in the room of the last supper in the Passover room. I think it's true of all things you will understand later. So by faith, accept what's happening and you will get it later. You'll understand it later. And finally this, uh, someone was poking fun of Simon Peter. Do you know how much we make fun of Simon Peter for all the things he did? All I, I got to tell you, I love Simon Peter. I mean, you, you're, you're out on a boat and, and you say, hey, can I walk on the water? And Jesus, come to me. What crazed maniac would actually do it? He, he, he goes out there and, and, and does it. Actually walks on water. Yeah, he starts sinking. I get that. But what, what faith? And what it says is, listen, okay, I don't have it all together, but I'm willing to put myself out there because I want more. Hey, do y'all want more? I think that the faith of Peter before Pentecost is I want more. So, so get a load of this. Peter said to Je Jesus, says, listen, I'm washing you now. And Peter says, hey, never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no place with me. Simon Peter says, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And someone was kind of making fun of him this morning because of that. And I'm thinking, you know, to me, that's just evidence that Peter wants all in. He wants all in. And he is yearning, although he doesn't know what's going to happen yet. He doesn't get it yet, but he's yearning for Acts 2. He's yearning for the power of the Holy Spirit. He's yearning for that fullness that he might be all that Jesus ever intended for him to be. I happen to think Peter throughout the gospels is someone that wants more. And at this point, <laughs> he wants all in. All right. All right. You do my feet and that's a good thing. Then can you also wash my hands? Also wash my head. It may not be appropriate, but y'all, Sometimes you're going to find out that when you want all in and you're sometimes acting a little crazy, you might be inappropriate too, but the heart that wants all in, the heart that wants all that Jesus wants for that heart is a great heart. Hmm. And the Holy Spirit wants to make your heart great today as well. All right, it's a wrap. Hey, it's been an honor to have you listen to the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast with Matt Friedemann. Check out our Facebook page, Life-Changing Discipleship, and check out our books at Amazon.com. Just type in Matt Friedemann into the search engine and see what's offered. And always, always tell others about our podcast. And remember, my wife thanks you, my daughter thanks you, my sons and their wives thank you, and I can assure you that I thank you for listening to Life-Changing Discipleship today. Once you love God, live clean, keep the faith, Make disciples and God bless you, dear friends. We'll see you back here real soon.